nice to be home. Appreciate the congregation. And if you don't appreciate it, come go with me some Sunday. If you'd go with me, that'd make one more. And we had 10 today, so when I sit down and sing with you, it just lifts my spirits. Tonight we have a great chapter under consideration. Brother Andrew last Sunday evening introduced for us the book of Acts. He did it in a great way. There wasn't anything else that I could think of that you could add to his introduction. But tonight we have beginning with chapter 2. Wait. I want to back up just a little bit. In the, book, in the book of Luke chapter 24 and verse number 49, Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Did you ever wait for something that you thought was great and important that was going to happen, and the time just drags? Yeah. You understand that. These people had been waiting, and they had been waiting. And in Acts 1 and verse number 4, it said, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So again, he told these disciples, he said, just wait, wait. And as I think of that waiting, you know, sometimes waiting is the hardest thing in the world that you can do. They had waited for 10 days and they waited, they wondered what in the world is going to happen. And then all of a sudden we get to Acts, the second chapter, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Fifty days after they had celebrated the Passover, the celebrated the beginning of the harvest on this day, came on the first day of the week, they considered it one of the greatest feast days of their lineage as Jewish people that they kept. So we began with Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them clothing tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. So when you read these words, then we began to wonder what in the world is happening. Notice, I want to call to your attention. That he said it was a sound. He didn't say it was a rushing mighty wind. It was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. You know, there's a great difference from a windstorm and just hearing the sound of one. I think we can understand, but I think the apostle had a way to describe what happened that day. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And then there appeared unto them cloven tongues. Again, he said, like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. It was so glorious. And it sat upon each one of the apostles that they could not understand what was about to happen. But then we look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can you imagine what they were doing now that the Holy Spirit had come? They had been waiting. They'd been waiting. 
And now all of a sudden they can stand up and speak and everybody in the audience can hear. In John 16 and verse number 13, Jesus had told them, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So now we're at Jerusalem, we're in this great house, and we have all of this that's happening for these people. One more verse in John 14 and verse number 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So when you think about all of this that was happening on this great and glorious day, but notice another thing from the Holy Spirit. He said, settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversary shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Wouldn't it be wonderful to always have the right answer? How many times we struggle to reply to something and then we usually mess a lot of things up? But he said, don't even think about it. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words you need at the right time. Tongues are languages. Let's read these verses together. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And we hear, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. They were amazed. They could not understand what was going on. But I want to clarify one thing by this, these verses of Scripture. To be able to speak in tongue is to be able to speak another language that you do not know or understand. Now, look at the next verses. Here were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. What a happening was happening this day. They were all able to understand everything that was being said in their own language. It was their own dialect. It was their own tongue. They all could understand. We have a lot of people today that want to speak in tongues and they get up and give you a bunch of gibberish that nobody can understand. They don't know what they're doing and they call that speaking in tongues. To speak in tongue is to be able to speak another language so that people might be able to understand. When you look at what has happened so far in this chapter, when I got down to this point, I, I just asked myself, what would you do if you had been there? What would have been your reaction to such a great experience? 
You went into a foreign country where they didn't speak your language and all of a sudden you've got somebody up talking and you understand exactly what's being said in your own language. Well, the next verse said they were all amazed and were in doubt or they were perplexed saying one to another, what meaneth this? So they were confused also. And as they were, others mocking said, all these men are full of new wine. They're drunk as a hoodow. They don't know what's going on. Why are you paying attention to such a happening? Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Peter said, listen, listen to what I'm about to tell you because it is of great importance. Peter had been promised by Jesus himself that he was going to have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning at verse number 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter had been promised that he was going to get the keys of the kingdom. Now he's standing up here and he's beginning to explain to these people what's happening on that day. He said, these are not drunken as you suppose. He said, it's just the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning and you think they're drunk? Nine o'clock in the morning was the hour of prayer. They wouldn't dare get drunk before the hour of prayer. If they were going to get drunk, they'd get drunk at night. But he said, it's just, the day is just beginning. And why are you supposing that they're drunken? Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What in the world does that mean? Peter calls to their attention a passage. They all knew it. They had been hearing this over the years. And they used it looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And he reminds them of the use of the scripture. But even so, they rejected their Messiah that came to them. And they crucified him. But listen to what else he tells them about this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This is happening because Peter said it's the last days. These are going to happen in the last days. Like God said, the Spirit has come with Jew and Gentile will be entered into the kingdom of heaven. People are going to receive their Spirit. They're going to be able to prophesy. He said, your young men, your daughters, your men, all of these things are going to happen. And you say, oh, 
so then the women could preach. No, there's a place they can prophesy besides in the public assembly. That has been regulated. But here we have the promise that they were going to come. In verse number 18, And upon my spirit and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In Acts 21 and verse number 9, there was a man that had four daughters. They were virgins, which did prophesy. So they could prophesy, they did prophesy, and we know that all of that was a fulfillment of that prophecy that Joel had made. Verse 19, he said, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we have this promise. We have this from the apostle Peter as he quotes from the old prophet Joel. Now what in the world would this prophecy be about? Those words are given as signs of destruction of a nation. Jesus had predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and their nation in Matthew 24. And that's another sermon within itself. I'm just going to say that and pass on. But here he said are signs that are going to happen as that great and notable day of the Lord comes. I want to give you one example. Let's go back to the book of Isaiah chapter 13. Verse number one, he said, The burden of Babylon which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then dropping down to verse number nine, he said, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to try to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not give her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the naughtiness of the terrible. Verse number 19 in that same chapter. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms. There wasn't anything as great and as glorious as that great nation of Babylon. But he said, the beauty of the Chaldea's excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. All of that picture was the destruction of that nation. And when Peter stands here and he recites the prophecy from Joel, he said that's what's going to happen. And all of this is going to happen before that great and terrible day of the Lord. There was a historian writer by the name of Josephus. <clears throat> In his preface to the history of the wars of the Jews, speaks of the signs that preceded those wars. Terrible thunders, lightnings, and earthquakes. There was a fiery comet that hung over the city for a year. <clears throat> and a flaming sword 
was seen pointing down upon it. What if you'd been there and saw these signs? Well, I think we'd probably be scared. But he said, the fire and the vapor of smoke literally came to pass in the burning of the cities of the Jews. So that's what we find from that prophecy. Verse 21. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. I found it interesting when you survey a little history and you do a little looking. When the nation was destroyed, when Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70, there was not a Christian that lost their life. They had observed the signs. When the time came, they fled the city of Jerusalem and therefore they spared their lives. The destruction of Jerusalem was so terrible and so long-lasting, according to the historians, that they literally ate their children for survival. I don't know how you could get to that point. Praise God, we don't have that going on today. Peter was telling these people that now they had opportunity to be ready for that great event that was coming. Now look at verse number 22. You men of Israel, again he calls their attention. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Peter again is calling upon them to listen I'm wanting to get your attention. I want you to hear these things. I want you to hear there is something important. Here is this man, Jesus, that was approved by God by all of the miracles and the wonders and signs. He said, you know these things. They weren't done in secret. You saw them. You witnessed these miracles and these wonders and these signs. You should have believed. But they rejected him, did they not? Look in John, the 20th chapter. Verse 30 and 31, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. Their persuasion was Believe in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of people today that want to go to the book of John and they talk about belief, 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 belief. The whole book was written trying to get those Jews to believe in Jesus Christ. And the closing verses was, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Listen, he said, I want to tell you something. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. I wrestle with this verse. I hope you understand it clearly. I tried to make this counsel the Sanhedrin court. And I had a lot of notes put together. 
And that was way back yonder when we were going to do this how many months ago? And I picked it up the other day and I got down to this verse and I said, you big dummy. There ain't no way that's right. So I had to go back and redo my thinking. And the best way I can explain it to you tonight is let you look at the New King James Version. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Now, isn't that simple? Sometimes we just try to make things more complicated than they really are. He said, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Peter stands here with before these people. They were red-handed guilty. And he said, you have by wicked hands taken and crucified this one that was your Messiah, this one that was approved of God. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. How many times in this chapter did he tell them that? Over and over, he warned them. But it was the plan of God before the creation of the world. Jesus made this statement in Luke 22 and verse number 53. He said, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched no, forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. When they came out to arrest Jesus, he said, you've tried to get me. I was with you in the temple and you turned no hand against me. But he said, now, this is your time. This is your hour. He gave over to the power of darkness that they could take him and crucify him. How about Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8? But he made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus allowed that power of darkness to take control, to try him, and finally put him to death. But out of that verse, I want to notice one more thing before we move on. The foreknowledge of God. It was the determined plan. It was God's knowing beforehand all of these things were going to happen. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse number 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. How much clearer did he make it? All of this was the plan of God before he laid the foundation of this world where we live today. Another scripture from the book of the Ephesian letter Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So all of this was done 
before the world. I've run into some people that said, no, that what? But what does the scripture say? One more. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the college, through the gospel. <clears throat> All of this was done. God had a plan. He knew before he created this world what it was going to be. And so now we have all of that laid up that we can understand what the Apostle Peter was trying to get, <clears throat> get these people to see. God gave. God knew. God allowed this plan, sacrifice, to be fulfilled. And Peter stands here and he said, You killed a man approved of God. Your Messiah. How would you have felt? Did you ever do something and then somebody accuse you of what you've done and how, how little that you felt? That's kind of where these people were. And then the apostle said, listen, I've got something I want to tell you. In John 12, verse number 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men Unto me, the plan of God was for this to happen for the salvation of the people of the world. And Jesus gave us a great invitation in Matthew 11 when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That invitation is for all time, for all people, everywhere, and it still stands today. Now back to our chapter, verse number 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. In verse number 32 of this same chapter, which we'll get to in a minute, he said, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. He's standing here telling these people, you by wicked hands crucified him. You put him to death. We are witnesses and here declaring unto you that God raised him from the dead. And yet people today still deny the fact that he was resurrected. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 14, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Peter tells them they, what they had done and now that God had made him alive. What a great sermon that Peter is preaching to these people. And then we come down to the Old Testament man, by the name of David. They all loved David. They trusted in David. They worshiped the very ground that he walked on, if I can use that statement. And here we find that they, uh, Peter is reminding them of David. He said, for David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, 
for he is at my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also flesh, my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of the joy with thy countenance. David had prophesied concerning what? Well, this was taken from Psalms 16, verse 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou not leave thy soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast shown me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Israel honored David. They honored his memory. They wanted another king just like him that would deliver them from this Roman Empire oppression that they were enduring. So Peter uses this prophecy to tell them, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the king, and yet you rejected him. But now Peter goes into a great explanation for these people. <clears throat> he said, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and that his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. He told these people, you put him to death. God raised him up. This is exactly what David had prophesied, that he was going to send another king. And now he has come, the fruit of his own loins, according to the flesh, to sit on his throne. And if you get that throne... If you go back in the Old Testament, you'll find that David sat on the throne of God, which originally was in heaven, came to earth, and now Jesus is sitting on that same throne, back ruling at the right hand of the throne of God. Now on down in verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, we have a quotation Back from the book of Psalms again, chapter 110, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod 
of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Now, David was prophesying of the coming Messiah, not of himself. Let's go to Ephesians 1. <clears throat> what is the exceeding greatness of his promise to usward? Who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and sat him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. He said, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Look at the description of Jesus Christ. Seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, everything that's in this world, everything that's in the world to come, Jesus is greater than all. Now look at the last part of that. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. We are the Lord's body. The church is the fullness of the plan of God for mankind. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. Now look at verse number 37 with me. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were guilty. They knew that they had crucified Jesus. And now Peter's standing here and he's telling them, by wicked hands you've taken and crucified the Lord of glory. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We're guilty. Tell us, please. What can we do to make this right? The answer that the apostle Peter gave. Verse number 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter's answer was exactly what the Lord had told them to preach. And I want to remind you before we go on. Look in Luke 24, verse number 47. And that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his, nation among, in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And I want to ask you, did Peter preach repentance? He told all of them, repent. Did he preach remission of sins? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You know, we all accept this very freely, do we not? But do you know, in my opinion, there's not another verse of Scripture that's been beat around the bush more than this one. Just don't want to believe it. 
But you know, if you do exactly what Peter told these people to do, the Lord will do exactly for you the same blessing that he promised them. Forgiveness of sins and a new life of the Spirit, the new birth, takes place. Now I want to show you something just by way of passing. I'm not going to dwell on it very long. <clears throat> but that word for, the remission of sins. The word for is from a Greek word, eis, E-I-S. It's used in the New Testament 1,493 times. And there's your various translations. 571 times it was translated into, 292 times uh, just the word to, 208 times into. Read them on down. I'm not going to read all of them for you, but look down at the, begin at the end of that. Because of, it was translated never. Never, never, never was it translated because of. And I give you this information simply because there is a very popular doctrine that's being forwarded all across the world today that we are baptized because of the remission of sins. That is a false doctrine. And here is verbatim and proof that that cannot be translated that way. Verse number 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Regardless of what nation, regardless of whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Gentile, regardless of the color of skin, regardless of where you were born, all have the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. Paul reemphasizes this in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That is the equation. That's what makes us all acceptable before God, the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, how guilty you are, how great your sin, Jesus can forgive it and for wash it completely away. Verse number 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this underward generation. That generation were rejecting the Messiah. And he said, You need to do something to save yourselves from this untoward or this backward or this rebellious generation. There's something that they needed to do, and he pleaded with them to do it. In Philippians 2 and verse number 12, Paul said, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There was something that they needed to do. Verse number 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We read that and say, hallelujah, 3,000 people that day. What a shame. There were millions in that city that heard the message and only 3,000 
obeyed it. Verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. These people were very steadfast in what they did. The apostles' doctrine. They stood for what they were being taught. Very commendable of them, right? They had fellowship. They had the common interest. They had mutual participation. They also enjoyed breaking of bread. They enjoyed meeting together and remembering the Lord and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And not only that, they continued in prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Now as we wrap up some of our thoughts tonight, I want to leave you with something that is very important to every one of us. We are continually admonished to do the same thing. Paul said, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as your labor is not in vain in the Lord. These people were steadfast, and we have the same admonition. Do it. Keep on doing it until life is no longer. Acts 2, verse number 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They were together in mind, in purpose, in faith, and in heart. <clears throat> in the unity of the Spirit, they responded to the welfare of each other. Many were sojourners in Jerusalem and did not bring enough supplies with them for the duration, so they shared with these people. And in verse number 45, it said, some of them even sold their position, their possessions. I jumped ahead of myself, did I not? Verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as they had need. There was a reason because they came, they stayed, they needed to be taken care of. And the church did it. For us tonight, in 1 John 3, verse 16 and 17, John said, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I thank God that we are living in a time that many, many people of our brethren have been taken care of. The churches arise to take care of situations just like the admonition is given. And we come to the last two verses of the chapter. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So when we come to the conclusion of this, we have a great chapter to think about. And if we're going to take it, we need to go back to the beginning for our examples. We need to follow the pattern as it was instituted. 
And that's always our plea. That's always our admonition. And so tonight, as we bring this to a close of this chapter, if you're here and you haven't done what the apostle commanded these people to do, to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, tonight is your opportunity. The Lord is still at hand. He is still pleading. He's waiting patiently for everyone to come to him that you might have rest. Would you respond? While together we stand and sing the song selected.